Good morning, Lakeview Church. It is so good to be with you today. I was on the online congregation last week, so if you're joining us online, let me just say a special welcome to you, uh, and we're so glad that you're joining us today. Last week, I was there with the online congregation sitting in the room to which I had been banished by my family in our home so as not to infect them with COVID. I tested positive for COVID in the first couple of days of February, and uh, my family said, get in that room and don't come out. Um, and I obeyed and uh, caught up on uh, my Netflix. Basically, that's what I did for several days. I just watched Jared is that he is called of God. God uses him to teach the word of God to us so that we can grow in our faith. And I want to just take a moment to publicly thank him and I want you to express honor to him today. So thank you, sir. I promise there is a message coming, but just a, this is a public service announcement. Do not drink the water at Lakeview. Do not drink the water at Lakeview unless you would like to have a child. Uh, Amos and Jessica are going to become parents here in May. And if you haven't heard Jared and Kayla, our message series for us last week, it's the series that we're really going to be in throughout the month of February. And it's called Names. And we're not studying every verse or every passage in the book of James, but we're looking at a few specific teachings from James about relationships. If you've been around Lakeview for a little while, you know that we are an everyday church for everyday people where we strive to follow Jesus, to live generously, and to make a difference every single day. And the reality is, is that as we pursue following Jesus and living generously and making a difference, we don't do that alone. We do that as part of a community. We do it as part of a body of people. And the church is our mother. That if we want to, we have to build a strong relational fabric inside of the church body. We have, to, we have to learn how to love each other well because that helps us grow. It's a good witness to the world and it actually establishes our credibility to share the gospel with those who are far, far away from God. And so during this month, we're just simply looking at some relationship rules. Last week, about the fact that we can't play favorites, right? We do not have any right in our lives as God's people to discriminate against another human being for any reason whatsoever. We can't look at someone and say because of their economics or their education, because of their gender or their race, because of their lifestyle or their belief system, there is no category that you could name today that would ever give you the right as one of God's people to say that person is worth less than this other person over here. We just simply do not have that option. God does not take that option and his people cannot take that option. We cannot play favorites. And so this morning, I want to move us to the second rule in this series. And this rule simply is, don't let your tongues run wild. Don't let your tongues run wild. When I was a kid, uh, we had this statement that we would say quite frequently. It was a statement that we used as an invincibility shield against people who were criticizing us or trying to tear us down, trying to make fun of us, and we could just throw this shield up with one simple statement. And when we threw the shield up, whatever words were being thrown our way were automatically just null and void. They fell to the earth and they were powerless and ineffective in trying to hurt us. 
You might know what this phrase is. I think Dory does because I can hear her laughing back there. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's an invincibility shield. It just makes words not hurt us at all, right? No, of course we know this is utterly and completely false. Right, Even as we would say the phrase, because usually the words had already been said to us, we would say the phrase back, and the reason we were saying it is because we had already been hurt by the words that had just been said. We know that words hurt us, and we know that when we share our words with others, when we share hurtful words or words of criticism or words that tear down others, that even as we say them, we know that they cause hurt to other people. You see, words seem like they're small and insignificant, but we know that words are very, very powerful. That with words, we can lift people up, or with words, we can tear people down. With words, we can strengthen relationships and and bring people closer together, and with words, we can rip relationships apart. Words are powerful, which is why we cannot let our tongues run wild. And James talks about this. He, he talks about the fact that we, we have to control our tongues. But, but he begins this teaching in a very confusing way. At least it's confusing to me. Because he says pretty early in this teaching, in James chapter 3, verse 8, he says, no one can tame the tongue. So you shouldn't let your tongue run wild, but you can't tame it. That's, that's really, I mean, that's what he's saying. No one can tame the tongue. It's impossible to get control of it. And not only is it impossible to get control of it, but, but it's evil in its very nature. If you keep reading in verse 8, it says that the tongue is restless and evil. It's full of deadly poison. So again, here's the teaching from James. It's impossible to tame your tongue, and your tongue is full of evil. How's that for an encouraging word on Sunday morning? He continues that the the tongue, if we let it run wild, damages people. It damages our lives, and it damages the lives of others. Look at what it says in verse 6. In verse 6, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting the entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Can you just feel the positivity in this passage today? You got to control your tongue, but it's impossible to control. It's evil, full of deadly poison. It will set your whole life on fire, and it hurts other people. James talks about this when he moves to verse 9. He says, sometimes the tongue curses those who have been made in the image of God. Which, by the way, is why we can't show favoritism. Because every single person you look at, every single person you come into contact with has been made in the image of God. And when you let your tongue run wild and speak ill of other people and tear other people down and, and, and say hurtful things to them, what you are doing is you are cursing another person made in the image of God. 
So we've got this problem when we read James chapter 3, that we've got this tongue that's out of control, that we can't tame. It's evil, full of deadly poison. It damages our lives and the lives of others. And yet we should control our tongues, James says, because it's really important to do so. For example, if you go back to James chapter 1, verse 26, what you discover is that if you claim to be religious but you don't control your tongue, then you are fooling yourself. The religion that you think you have that's so great is worthless. Though it might be impossible to control our tongues and though our tongues may be full of evil and our tongues can hurt other people and even hurt our own lives, the reality is if we don't learn how to control our tongues, it invalidates our entire religion. If we go out and we try to say that we are followers of Jesus Christ, but we tear people down with our words and we use our words to hurt other people, then we are fooling ourselves. Our religion means nothing. That's how important our words are in this world. Which is why you should be really careful what you post on social media. Because some of what you post there invalidates your religion. And so if you're going to go out and post hurtful, hateful things towards other people, don't call yourself a Christian. Don't damage the rest of us with the way that you testify about your faith in the words that you use to tear other people down. If you want to do that, go do that. But don't do it in the name of Christ. Because the way we use our words determines the value and the validity of our religion. If you claim to be religious but you don't control your words, your religion is worthless. So we've got this problem of a tongue that we can't control but a tongue that we must control. This passage causes me angst because I don't know how to solve the problem that I'm seeing in this passage. In James chapter 3, verse 2, James continues to kind of unpack this dilemma. He says, indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect, and we could also control ourselves in every other way. It's almost as if James is saying, you should control your tongue, you must control your tongue, but I kind of know it's not really possible. Because if you could control your tongue, you'd be perfect in every other way. Can you feel the tension inside of this passage? I can feel it. When I was trying to preach this message, I was like, maybe I should make Jared preach again this week. This is a tough passage. Control your tongue, because it can cause a lot of damage, but you can't really control your tongue. And one of the reasons you can't control it is because the tongue is fickle. It goes back and forth. Sometimes it says the right thing, and then sometimes it says the wrong thing, right? He says this in verses 9 and 10. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. 
So again, James is saying, you should control your tongue. But no one can tame the tongue. But you really ought to. But you probably can't. And I just kept feeling this tension all week long. And I literally, in my notes for this passage, as I was studying and reading this, I just, I kept asking the question in my notes, is this just like a cruel trick that God has played on us in the scriptures to say to us, here's what you ought to do to become everything God wants you to be, but you can't do it. Are we left to simply hear this teaching and say, I know we should be better, but we just have to resign ourselves to the fact that we can't be better in this area? Is this one of those moments where it's just about striving to do a little bit better, but never really reaching the goal? Or is God just reminding us that he has standards that we can never meet? Well, before we give up on this passage, I want to just point us to the last two verses in this particular paragraph, verses 11 and 12. Because I think in these two verses, James is starting to get to the solution to the problem. In verses 11 and 12, this is what he says. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. You can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. You see, what James, I think, is saying to us in these last two verses is that no one can tame the tongue because the tongue is not really the problem. Of course, the tongue is the organ that we blame because it's from our tongue that the words flow, but in reality, the tongue does not have a mind of its own. The tongue does not create its own source of words. The tongue gets its words from somewhere else in our lives. And so what James is starting to say in these last two verses is, if you try to control your tongue, it won't work. Because the tongue is not the problem. This is not an issue of willpower. This is not an issue of wearing a muzzle wherever you go so you don't say the wrong thing. James is saying there's a deeper problem that must be dealt with in a person's life if their tongue is going to speak words that bring life, if it's going to speak words of love, words that lift others up, words that praise and bless our God and Father, words that actually help people grow in their faith and, and, and become what God wants them to be. If you're going to have that kind of mouth, you got to have a different source for your tongue. That's what he's getting at. He's saying, you can't go to the ocean and expect to find water that you can drink. Because ocean water is salty. You got to go to a fresh spring that has fresh water. And when you go to that place, then the water that comes from that source is fresh. James is pointing us to something deeper. And I think he gets this teaching from Jesus himself, his half-brother. James had heard Jesus talk about this in another time in Jesus' ministry when Jesus was dealing with the religious leaders who had watched Jesus cast out demons. 
And they said, this guy must be from Satan himself. Only Satan could cast out demons. And Jesus basically says, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's my translation. Jesus says, that's, that's foolish thinking. Because why would Satan cast out his own demons? A house divided against itself cannot stand. So if Satan is casting out his own demons, then his whole kingdom is done for. And right on the heels of that teaching in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus offers teaching that mirrors what James says in James chapter 3. Listen to Jesus' own words. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? And look at this next phrase. For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. If you want to have a tongue that praises our God and Father, you have to have a good heart that truly loves God. And if you want to have a tongue that doesn't curse those who have been made in the image of God, but speaks words of life, words that lift people up, you have to have a good heart that allows you to truly love your neighbor. And if you want the tree of your life to produce the fruit that brings life and holiness into this world through your life and through the words that you speak, you've got to be transformed at the very core of your being so that the source inside of you is fresh and good and holy and right. The reason our words, if they are bad words, if they are words of cursing, if they are words that hurt others, if they are words that do not promote the things of God, the reason those words are evil, the reason they are set on fire by hell themselves is because we have not been transformed at the core of our being to look like God. Here's the lesson of James chapter 3 that tension that we've been feeling, that we're supposed to tame our tongue, but we can't tame our tongue. But we ought to tame our tongue, but we're probably not gonna be able to do it. That tension is resolved in this reality. If you want to tame your tongue, you must transform the source. You must transform the source. You need God to do something deep on the inside of you that you simply cannot do for yourself. If you find your mouth speaking words that tear others down, that are cursing towards other people, then you must ask God to do something deep on the inside of you. Because you need the source of your life the deepest parts of who you are to be transformed by God's grace and by God's power. And some of you are right now saying, great, just tell us what we gotta do to transform the source. But here's the thing. You can't transform the source. 
You simply are not powerful enough to bring transformation at the innermost parts of your being to your own life. When we're talking about spiritual formation in the ways of God, we're talking about something that we cannot do in our own strength. There is no such thing as self-help in the kingdom of God. You need the Holy Spirit of God to come into your life and do something at the very core of who you are that you simply are not capable of doing on your own. You're just not that good. And you're just not that powerful. You need God to do a work of transformation. And, and, and don't misunderstand, we have to be engaged in the process. We don't just simply sit back and passively wait for God to maybe show up and do some work of transformation in our life. No, we have to be engaged in the process as long as we recognize and realize that all of our diligence cannot change us. We must be diligent. We must be engaged. But what we are waiting for and what we are positioning ourselves to experience is a transforming work of God's grace in our lives. So when we talk about transforming the source, I want to just spend these last few minutes talking not about what you do to transform your life, but I want to talk to you about what you do to position yourself to experience God's transforming work. What do we need to do to make sure we are in the very best spot possible so that God can change us at the core of who we are so that every fruit that comes from our life is fruit of holiness? Fruit that glorifies God. Fruit that lifts others up and, and helps them become everything God wants them to be. How do we do that? Three things I want to share with you very quickly. First, surrender. Surrender. The old-fashioned word is the perfect word for this moment. It's that word, consecration. It's where we, where we take our lives, all of our lives, and we recognize that they are no longer our own. We recognize that they've been bought with a price. And so we give our lives to their rightful owner. We give them to God completely. We take our lives and we set them aside for God's purposes and for God's use so that he can do whatever he wants to do in and through our lives. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is what he says. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, positioning ourselves for transformation begins with the act of surrender, the act of consecration, taking our lives and saying, in view of God's mercy, here's my life. It's a living sacrifice. I'm offering it back to you, the one who purchased it. And we let God do whatever he wants to do in our lives. We're crucified with him. We don't live anymore. He's living his life in us. And so I just want to ask you this morning, is there any part of your life that you've not surrendered to God? Have you said to God, God, you can have this, but, but not this part? If there's any part of your life that you haven't given to God, you have to ask yourself the question, why haven't you given it to him? 
What are you holding on to it for? If you want to become everything that God wants you to be, you can't get there without just putting it all on the altar and just saying, God, my life is not mine. It belongs to you. So I want to just encourage you today. Give yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Don't hold anything back. Put your life in his hands. There's no better place for you to be today. No better place and right in his hands where he can do whatever he wants to do in and through your life. Surrender. Second, scripture. As I was thinking about our words, I was reminded that if we want to see our lives transformed, we have to engage the word. Scripture, we have to put it into our lives. And I was reminded of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 26 and 27, where we're told that Christ gave himself up for the church, and he did this to make her holy and blameless. And the way that he makes her holy and blameless is by washing her with his word. Some of us approach Scripture as kind of a religious to-do list. It's just something we check off to say, look at what I did today. I just want to say, that's not the right way to come to Scripture. Scripture is way more significant than just some religious obligation or duty that we fulfill on a daily basis. Scripture is a means of grace that God uses in our lives to actually wash us and make us holy. Remember when Jesus prayed in John 17? He prayed that the disciples that that God the Father had given to God the Son would be sanctified. And do you know how they would be sanctified? By his truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Listen, we have to put the word of God into our lives. It doesn't get there any other way. So we open our Bibles and we read and we ask God to move us beyond just the religious duty of checking something off a list to say, God, as we step into the sanctuary of your word, could you in this moment use your word to wash us clean and make us holy? That's why we're engaged in daily Bible reading here at Lakeview, not because we're trying to just give you something to check off a list. We're trying to just say, get in the word. Let God's word cleanse you. Let it, let it make you holy. Let it make you pure. Let it make you clean. But you gotta read it. And so if you haven't been engaged with us in our daily Bible reading plan, I just wanna encourage you to do that. You can do that on our website. You can go right there, and we've got the daily readings. They update every single day, so you can just go to the website, and it'll tell you what to read. If you're like, forget that online stuff. I'm tired of looking at a computer screen. We got bookmarks. We thought of you. We thought of you. You can pick one of these up right at the Welcome Center, and this just has all of the daily readings for the month of February, and you say, but you guys started in January. Do I need to go back and catch up? You certainly can. But don't let that keep you from doing it. Just start today. The best time to start was in January when we started. The next best best time is today. Just start today. And let the word of God cleanse us and make us holy. We gotta surrender to God. We gotta be engaged in the scripture. And then third, 
We got to seek God. We got to seek God. And here's what I want you to know. Sometimes we, we think seeking God is about kind of stirring ourselves up into some kind of spiritual frenzy. Right? And we believe that if our enthusiasm is high enough, then somehow that will convince God to do his work inside of us. And so we think about seeking God as enthusiasm and intensity and, and fervency. And those things aren't bad. It's not bad to be enthusiastic. It's not bad to have fervency. It's not bad to have intensity. As long as you do not see those things as levers that you pull to convince God to do something in your life. Those things are all fine in their own place, but they are not ways that we control God. As if, if I am more enthusiastic, God must do something inside of me. It's not the way it works. Seeking God is not about enthusiasm and intensity. Seeking God is about trusting him to do his work in his perfect time, according to his perfect will, and waiting on him until he does that. Seeking God is about waiting and trusting God over time in our lives. This is one of the things that I think the holiness tradition has gotten wrong over the years. Because there have been times when we've told people, you gotta come to this altar and you gotta pray and you gotta get yourself into this frenzy until you get what God has for you to get because you can't leave this place without having it. Except there's a problem with that. Sometimes God's not ready to give it yet. Because God is not just concerned about the work that he wants to do in your life. He's concerned about the relationship that he's cultivating with you. And so if you're just coming to God as a vending machine to put the quarter in and push the number and get what you want, sometimes God won't give that because what he's trying to do in your life is help you be unified and in union with him. So what he's looking for is not a person who can get into a frenzy in a moment. He's looking for someone who wants all that God has for him or her, so much so that you will wait on God and you will trust God over time for as long as it takes. You see, sometimes God will give us this transforming work in our lives the moment we ask for it. And other times he makes us wait a little while. And sometimes he makes us wait a long, long time. But here's what we can never do. We can never tell God what he must do or when he must do it or how he must do it. We have to be fully surrendered to say, God, whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, and however you want to do it. All I want, God, is you at work in my life, making me into the kind of person that you want me to be. This is, this is the way of transformation. This is how we position ourselves for the work of God, and we wait for the holy work of God, the work of sanctification in our lives, so that whenever he chooses to pour out grace and transform the source of our lives, we're ready because we're in this posture of waiting. This morning, I ask you, are you willing to consistently wait for God? And what if it takes a week or a month? What if it takes a year? Are you willing to just keep seeking God?
Keep surrendering yourself, putting yourself on the altar of sacrifice. Keep reading scripture. Keep pursuing God and saying, God, do your work in my life whenever, however, wherever. But God, just do your work in my life because I want to be made holy. I want to be made good so that whatever comes out of my mouth and whatever flows from my life is good. These are the kinds of people that our world needs. And the only way we get there is by letting God do his work of transformation in our lives. So I want to invite the band to come back this morning. They're going to lead us in a song that we were singing earlier. And the reason we're going to sing this song again is because this, this passage in James tells us with our mouths, sometimes we curse people who've been made in the image of God, but our mouths were actually made to bless our God and our Father. And so we're going to sing this song that we were singing earlier, I Will Sing Jesus, because I want the last thing that we do in this service to be a proclamation of what is in our hearts and what we're putting on our mouths to praise our God in heaven. And as we sing this song this morning, I don't want you just to sing the words. I want you to actually ask God to do a new work inside of you so that not just in a church service, but everywhere you go and every moment of every day, the words of your mouth are good words. Because God has done his work of transforming you at the innermost parts of your being. So I want you to stand with me. I want to pray for us. And then we're going to sing this song. God, we come before you this morning. And we know, Lord, that our words, they're powerful. With our words, we can bless you. And with our words, we can curse others. God, our words can damage people. They can hurt others or they can lift people up. God, we want our words to be good words. Words that honor you. Words that advance your cause in this world. And so God, we're asking you to transform the innermost parts of our being today. Would you help us be a people surrendered? Would you help us be a people who are committed to the scriptures? And would you help us seek you over time because we will find you when we seek you with all of our heart. So help us today, even as we sing Jesus, to put ourselves in that place where we can experience your transforming work in our lives. And we will give you all the praise.